Welcome to the Money Making Women podcast with me, Ray Dodd. I'm a money and business coach who believes that you are absolutely capable of earning life-changing amounts of money. I also believe that doing so is not as straightforward as the internet makes out. If you're looking for a conversation that goes beyond pure manifestation and hustle and into the nuance and intersections of what it means to be a money-making woman, then this is the space for you. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Um, today I'm talking to the wonderful Nicola Haggett or Nikki as we established I think during the call um, and Nikki is a um, body trust provider that's what she describes herself as and she talks about um, body liberation, unlearning body shame and how we can reclaim our bodies as our homes. I have long felt um, and understood that um, our feelings around our bodies and diet culture have a big impact on our money making. And I say that as someone who was brought up in a heavily diet culture re family. <laughs> um, that was not funny, the way I said the culture bit. And so I really wanted to have this conversation with Nikki. Um, I hope you all enjoy it. I hope that you are able to reflect on the ways in which we are socialized and told to stay small in our bodies impacts how we show up all over the place. Um, and I hope it's food, pun intended, for thought for you all. I would love to hear your feedback on this, how it's how this stuff shows up for you. So yeah, enjoy our conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Nicola. It's so nice. Do you, are you a Nikki or a Nicola, generally? I've seen I'm a Nikki. I'm a Nikki. Okay. I'm both. I'm both. We're friends. It can be Nikki. <laughs> Podcast Nikki. Um, I'm so excited to have you here. So um, Nikki and I are currently doing some coaching training together. And in a Zoom room, we um so we're we're normally in a group, but every session and the coaching with Sass Petherick, um, I highly recommend the the program if anybody is looking at it. It's called Self-Belief Coaching Academy when she opens it again. And um, what SAS does is um, every week we all go into a Zoom room and we're normally with one other person. And so me and Nikki ended up in a room together and we, I can't remember what we were meant to be talking about, but we ended up talking about the way that our bodies intersect basically with our businesses and with the way we show up online, how we sell and all of that sort of stuff. And as the conversation was happening, actually, Nikki, I already had you earmarked as somebody I really wanted to talk to, because um, just from hearing you in the group, I'm, I'm always scribbling down like the references you're making and stuff. <laughs> so interesting. Um, so I already had you earmarked, but I was like, oh, this is the conversation I really want to have with you on the podcast. So I think I messaged you straight after our, that session and was like, would you like to carry on that chat on the podcast? And so here we are. Um, and that is one of my favourite things about this podcast. I get to bring fascinating people on and just carry on these conversations that we used to have to wait for a dinner party or something for it to happen. And now I can kind of do this, like handpick people and ask them to come and chat with me. It's so nice. So um, you have one of my favourite ever job titles. <laughs> when I went to look at your uh, bio and the, the thing at the top says um, you describe yourself as a body trust provider. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> I love the way that we I, um, that you asked me to join. I think those are the best conversations too, when we just have a little juicy snippet and then we, we go from there. But yeah, a body trust provider. So body trust is actually um, a healing modality um, that was developed by um, an organization called Be Nourished, who are um, based in Portland and Oregon in the US. 
So I think I'm the only body trust provider in Europe. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's not um it's not something a lot of folks have heard of. So um I, I trained with them a couple of years ago, and that's the work that I practice in the world. So basically it's a framework which is centered around body liberation. So this idea of both our own individual healing process in healing our relationship with our body, with food, with the ways in which we learn to lose trust with ourselves and, and society and culture. Um, but also it situates us as part of a collective movement for body liberation. So naming that the ways we feel about our bodies are not just kind of about us. <laughs> it's not just this individual thing that we that we fo focus on and then, you know, it's, it's check that box, got body trust, <laughs> that, you know, we're constantly impacted by the... Um, by the culture that we're in. Yeah. So body trust provider, I'm all about um, relearning. Um, relearning, feeling at home in our bodies. Yeah. Nice. So and how does that look when you work with people? Is it like a talking thing? Is it a mixture of like more body based stuff? How does it? Yeah. How does that look when people work with you? Yeah. Um, so there's a framework. Yeah. Um, but it is very much about, it's not like, here are my eight steps to uh, rebuild trust in your body. Mm. Um, because we all love a plan. <laughs> but in my experience, plans are a lot about fixing. Yeah. Um, and so this work is more about healing. So it's more of a process of unlearning. Mm. So where we tend to start is with like, like what's your experience of being in your body? Mm. You know, what are the ways in which you lost trust? Mm. What are the ways in which you sort of internalize shame and blame and bias? Mm. So we start with exploring what we call body stories. Mm -hmm. And that's a little bit grounded in research around embodiment. Yeah. And by, um, from Dr. Neva Paran, who's a, this awesome feminist psychologist. So she talks about body journeys. So it's this process of looking at our experience and then layering on the ways in which we um, internalize those messages in the culture that it's not our fault, you know? Um, and then from there, we build practices to support coming home. Mm. So practice of resisting objectification, practices of naming um, what makes us feel good, mm. practices of using our voice to set boundaries, practices of self-compassion, mm -hmm. practices of um, attuned self-care. So one of the things I'm trained in is intuitive feeding, but I think that intuitive feeding on its own um, doesn't work in inverted commas for a lot of folks yeah you know because we have to create this sense of safeness in our body and trust um yeah. in order to be able to to tune into signals um you know to like hunger and fullness signals um, yeah. so yeah so it's it's this lovely framework with lots of practices but i think a lot of times people it doesn't sound as tangible until you get into doing that work yeah, and I love I love what you're saying there because that I mean it's very much it sounds quite similar to how I kind of I, I look at money in that it's like uh, some of the things that I kind of dislike in money coaching I do actually use <laughs> like some of those <laughs> techniques but I dislike them in isolation I dislike this idea that you have you know money blocks that are all your own and it's all your fault and it lands at your feet whereas actually we live in a society and it's I think it's like you know it's the both and thing of like yeah, yeah those those yes we do I do think we have blocks around things but normally they're the end result of like a whole narrative of how we got there um so I love 
I love that because I'm um, from being in this training with you, I can really see how you um you kind of you have a very nuanced approach to it, which I'm always a big fan of. Of like, yeah, that, but also there's all of this stuff as well. Um, <laughs> and I know that that makes I don't know if you find this, but I certainly find that can make communicating what you do harder sometimes because it's like, well, yeah, and also there's all of this stuff. Like I sometimes feel like if I was much more like it's this this is what you do which is what a lot of money yeah. coaches do I would be making a lot more money <laughs> <laughs> yeah no and I often feel like the yeah but person in this yes. group um and I think that's the piece like I'm not um I use a lot of tools in my work you know I'm trained in acceptance and commitment therapy you know as I said intuitive eating you know I use some work around internal family systems I like to use models Mm. and I like to have like a critical analysis of them as well so we don't throw the tool out (laughs) but I like to like have this wider context and that really comes out of um my experience you know I describe myself as fat you Mm -hmm. can see me right now but I'm in a, a sort of mid to large fat body and that's a word that I have reclaimed as a kind of neutral descriptor for my body so it's not got a negative connotation for me personally yeah Um, and I know that's not the case for everyone and I don't put that label on everyone but as a fat person and going through this process of trying to heal my relationship with food and body many years ago I kept coming up with all of these yeah buts of my own you know it was like okay so it's intuitive eating is gonna heal my relationship with food and intuitive eating is awesome but I often felt like I was doing it wrong um, because I couldn't let go of a lot of the diet mentality or I couldn't let go of fear of weight gain. Yeah. Um, and I, I felt like I wasn't trying hard enough. Mm-hmm. And then once I did that, I thought, okay, that's obviously body image stuff. I need to fix my body image, you know? And a lot of body image work, um, you know, the research is coming out of is um, young cis white women in fairly smaller bodies a lot of the time and so while that work can be helpful like I can love my body all I want and again I'm not about love it needing to love our bodies but if I was that still doesn't like help me with the fact that it's hard to get clothes or that like my body's vilified you know you look at um the recent cosmopolitan cover Mm. (laughs) and the backlash against that you know like um yeah so all about adding nuance and, and layers and, and systems on top of it. And it's, it's so interesting. And I, I was nodding and putting faces while you were saying that because I certainly, when I first discovered the body positivity movement, and I know that it's been, you know, taken from the black women that started it and all of that stuff and then and really kind of changed by a lot of cis white women. Um, I was like, I get, like, because so I'm a size 16. I do call myself fat, but I... I I struggle with really owning that, not because I think fat is bad, but because I'm aware that I'm I'm in a very acceptable bracket still. Like I'm a size 16. So getting clothes is harder, but not hard. If you know, if you know what I mean. So it, I'm still yeah. I'm still working around that. Like I'm also five foot two. So it's that thing I always like, you can get if you're six foot and a size 16, you can be like a very different body to my lovely little I was describing myself as looking like I've been sat on. <laughs> yeah me too I'm five three are you <laughs> oh, I do do you know what I love being I love being short and I love I, in my work because we all sit down we don't see each other right <laughs> I have such an affinity like a number of my clients are like are you that small Ray I'm five foot and we're all like have this like lovely short people club 
Um, but yes, I can't remember what I was going to say. Yes, when I first discovered it, I remember being like, that's great that you're accepting your body as it is, but you are actually a size 10 and you're not having to walk around the world with, you know, people commenting on you. What you're accepting is that your body is okay, but in a world that also accepts your body is okay. You know, like people talk about thin privilege yeah. and thin privilege exists on a continuum and, and we're all at varying degrees away from the ideal. Yeah. And I think that it's super nuanced because we all deserve to feel at home in our bodies. Um, you know, it's not about, you know, if if you're a size 10 or 12, 14, 16 or a size 28, yeah. our own individual relationship with our body matters. Exactly. And we all deserve to heal that and to yeah. feel at home. So it's really not about diminishing anyone's individual experience because yeah. I'm really all about we get to heal our intrapersonal relationship with our body and by talking about this nuance it often can get lost that that it's not saying that it's easy necessarily and to heal your relationship with your body if you're at a smaller size it's just adding this extra layer to say that um, you don't have this additional experience of the social stigma um, of um being in a fatter body and and you know I um also have privilege because I'm like white I'm cisgendered I'm financially able I'm educated um and I'm not in like a much if I was in a much larger body than the one I'm in and I've been in one previously you know there's layers that become harder like airplane travel like not even getting clothes online so yeah it's I think it's always about locating ourselves yeah um, and we get to like we get to have healing for ourselves and I find it super helpful to to also see ourselves as helping to dismantle this yeah. overall piece of like how can we help add to this movement for all bodies to feel at home absolutely that makes sense and I think it's so for me certainly seeing any woman at home in her body and you can feel people that have that like that really feel okay in whatever body they have it's incredibly inspiring to me in my body and it doesn't matter if that person how that person looks right across the spectrum that is something that gives me um almost like like I borrow some of their power in that when they do that <laughs> like there's a feeling of certainly like I know I've seen women when they're like so clothes are really important to me but because I, I find, and I'm finding myself getting more eccentric in my dressing in lockdown. Like I'm really, <laughs> because I can't go out, I'm getting more and more like, yeah, like fur coats and sequins and all sorts are happening inside my Amazing. home. But I think that I, I can like, I can definitely see from, from someone who looks like a stereotypical model to somebody who is, um, you know, a size 28, like you say, if they're owning their body, I feel some of that. Like if I see them in clothes that I love, their body is so irrelevant. And actually it's their attitude and their kind of like the way that they're they're carrying themselves that I feel. And sometimes I get real moments of seeing that. And it's when I feel like I see actual beauty. Like I just like from hanging out with them, I'm like, ah, oh, it's not, and it's not necessarily about clothes. It's about this kind of feeling of that person really inhabiting who they are and the body they sit in as they are that person. Um, so one of the things, there's a few different things I wanted to talk to you about. Um, 
But I wanted to, my first question, I feel like, oh, I said this to you before we started recording, I feel like all of them feel really like meaty, which is quite well, exciting. <laughs> so um, are there any ways that you can see that our body image impacts our money making? It's quite a big one. Yeah, take. there's loads, there's loads. Yeah. I think like there's just layers. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, so someone I've learned a lot from as a sort of in my coaching practice is Kelly Deals, who's a feminist marketing consultant. And she talks about the, the female lifestyle empowerment brand. Yeah. And at the center of that is like, like beauty ideals signal power. Yes. So right off the bat, you know, um, so it's this idea of, you know, when we call to mind um, the sort of vision of the successful female entrepreneur, what is the image that comes along with that? You know, and it's yeah. often, um, and again, nuance. This is not critiquing the person, this is critiquing the model. Yeah. So it's yeah. critiquing this overall pattern rather than the individual person that comes to mind. So it might be, you know, a white, shiny haired, flowing locks, um, thin, um, well put together. We can talk about what well put together means, but <laughs> well put together. Um, women who, you know, images are used to sell that success. So, you know, there'll be the lifestyle photos imposed in a certain way and certain things positioned in the photo to indicate signal power. So already we have this image of success. Mm. So I think that if we can't leverage that, if we're not someone that fits in that box, then already we're kind of a little bit um, on the back foot and we're already wondering, so what's available to me? Yes. I I think that's one way. I think like another way is that, um, so when that's not available to us, we then find ourselves, and I certainly had this, I used to work in the city um, in the, financial services and you find yourself performing Mm. certain versions of yourself in order to overcome some of this stuff so for example I used to uh, overperform sort of hyper femininity so like really make sure that like my makeup was on point that my outfit couldn't be criticized that I always looked professional because I was in um really quite a large body for the environment that I was in I was also Mm. one of the only women Mm. um and so already I felt like my body signpost a sort of um a lack of willpower a lack of discipline a sloppiness and assumed sloppiness and assumed assumed weakness personal failing on my part somehow um and that I needed to kind of overcome that in order to be seen for like what I actually contributed and added as a person so there's that (laughs) there's the clothes that are available to us as we as we move higher up the weight spectrum and you know I was mean back when I worked in the city all we had was Evans you know (laughs) and there was a lot of shiny polyester like I'm sure Evans has improved now of course I'm I'm 41 so (laughs) this was a little while ago but it was all like the kind of like shiny suits so again I I had a challenge of finding the clothes that that I felt represented a successful Mm -hmm. woman 
And then the third one, before I um, be quiet for now, is this idea of greediness and success and laziness and what are the bodies that we associate with that and how that overlaps with if we're seem to be successful this idea that somehow we've gotten about it by some kind of ill gains you know that we maybe have stealed it or been greedy or taken it from some taken what wasn't ours or more than we deserved yeah so those are like three different ways I'm sure there's loads more but yeah that that came to mind yeah and I think it's so interesting, isn't it? Because each of those things intersect with so much else. Like the kind of the, I heard um, Sphere Hagen, I think that's how you say her name, talking about um, the laziness thing. And she said for so long, whenever she relaxed, she had an internal monologue that was like, "You'll be, you're lazy and fat. So you, you sitting on a sofa is fatness. You're not, not, you know, recuperating. Because, you know, any person on a sofa is just resting and they're chilling out. But a fat person on a sofa, and I absolutely related this to this so much. It's like, oh my God, yeah, there's such a story there of like, you know, this is because you sit down too much. This is because you're doing this too much. And there's not that, like, and, and I think that really feeds into that hustle culture that can be so damaging in the online business world of like, I've got to do, 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 do. And if you already have that internal monologue of laziness, then you're going to find yourself trying to escape that by doing more yes yes and I think it's always this like um process of building our analysis and being able to zoom out and see where that's come from and that's not just about our own limiting belief Mm. it's about the fact that we're constantly bombarded you know if you look at the images we see of um you know, folks, and, and I'm going to use the word fat here again, I've given the context, folks in fat bodies, um, you know, it'll often be these headless torsos of like um, people who um, their clothes will be, you know, they've done some research around this and showed 77% of media images of people in, in larger bodies that we see are this caricature of the headless fatty, um, you know, clothes that don't fit and, you know, the body splay not in an unflattering you know mm. um, position and maybe being sedentary like you said sitting on the sofa or right. eating like what they call junk food and and so we see these images and and on that unconscious level we just kind of inter- well, we internalize it yeah. um, and then we often beat ourselves up for like being like why do I keep thinking I'm lazy or why do I <laughs> you know um, why do I keep getting stuck around this and yeah so it's so much about like these messages we internalize and how can we um, externalize those? How can we start to, to name them, mm. to see them for what they are and say, actually, mm, no, that's not mine. And how can I build some resilience around um, like what's my relationship with my body and what's my relationship with myself and my own self-worth? And what do I need in the moment without the judgment on it? Like the, I, yes. So my, um, I can't remember if I've talked about this in the podcast or not, but I talk about it a lot in my content. So my um, my mum had a deep, so my mum was, she would never have called herself fat. I could not have used that word for her at all. She would have described herself as overweight. So I use her words because she died yeah. 20 years ago. So that's how she would have described herself. And um, she, her, her weight went up and down. Like she went on those, um, it was, oh, I can't remember what it was called, but those soup diets where you're not even allowed to lick a spoon of mm. other food. 
and she would lose stones in months. And we don't know this. I suspect it contributed to her death. Honestly, I really do. So she um, she would spend a lot of time sat on the sofa and she had a huge story about being lazy. But I think it was really her happy place to be sat on the sofa with me often and we would be chatting. And, you know, it was it was a it was actually a very lovely thing. It's a nice memory I have of her. But that kind of story of, you know, my mum with her weight and all of that has really impacted my business because I, so I've grown my business over four years. When I look at the actual evidence, I'm not lazy. And my husband will like laugh in a nice way when I'm like, oh, I'm just, I don't do enough. And he's like, you what? You what now? Like you have been, you rest occasionally, but not, I'm learning this, I'm getting there. But like these, it's so interesting, the cognitive dissonance between what's actually happening and that fam. And it, I think for me, it's definitely a layered story of family um, and society and, you know, experience, like never being the girl that was good at PE, never being, you know, very sporty, always having a complicated body is how I would always describe it. Like big boobs from very young, all of that stuff. And it's just really interesting. And I share this because I think it's really useful for us to look at the various ways we land on a story that can really impact our ability to run a sustainable business because we will not allow ourselves a moment's rest because mm. of these stories. Well, yeah, um, I mean, part of, part of body stories, it's not just about our actual body, like as in our appearance. I mean, I'm actually not someone that really uses body image as a framework I use embodiment I use like what is our actual internal experience of our body here rather than the, the past or rather than like sort of outsourcing to some future version of ourselves that, that we're hoping might exist you know but I think part of this whole piece around bodies you know like you named is who who got to rest in our houses and in our cultures yeah. who got really encouraged to put their feet up at the end of the day yeah. who was seen you know who was kind of who in our culture is vilified for it you know mm. um whose pleasure gets centered whose needs get centered mm. what are the ways that especially if you're socialized as female um over time like we see this process you know around the age of 10 or 11 where the research shows that girls will start to be um, less directed by their own internal um, voice and more around looking outside to like, you know, what's expected of me as a, as a caregiver, of a caretaker, as whose pleasure. And even like talking about sexual desire and about appearance and, and who is that for yes. and, and how that spills over into other areas like rest. You know, it's all... Yeah linked and that's not to say that that there's anything wrong about care and about really like caring for each other but yeah. it's also noticing that we also um, are allowed to center our own needs and that doesn't have to be something we earn yes yeah yeah, yeah. and I think that's so hard though oh it is so complicated in so many ways and one of the things that is sort of coming up to me that I want to ask is what like you say it's hard so in terms of support like what do you think that um it's one of the great injustices 
that I think, and I'm really, I would love it if you said to me, Ray, I disagree with that, and that I could change my opinion on this. I genuinely would. But <laughs> I increasingly feel like for those that can, obviously, and it is a privilege to be able to, women do need more support in terms of therapy and coaching and understanding of things because and not just women I would say at all the different ways in which um the world intersects with that so people people who don't fit into is what I should say is people who don't fit into that small male middle class white space cisgendered space mm. but we do need more support because there's so much unraveling to be done what would you say about that because that obviously costs money yeah, I think there are lots of different <clears throat> ways to access support mm. at, at lots of different levels. So if you're talking about this process of just even starting to, so something that I use in my work that um, is part of body trust is and um, we use a framework called liberatory consciousness, which is um, a framework um, by um, Barbara J. Love. Um, and the first element of this is building our analysis, yeah? Um, so we, we first bring awareness to what's going on. In order to bring awareness to our stories, we need to build our analysis. So ways to build our analysis are to start with, um, we can start with some books. An amazing yeah. book um, is The Body is Not an Apology by yeah. Sonia Renee Taylor. And um, there's actually the audio version of that as well, which is um, super accessible. It's not a very long book. Um, so that's a place to start to get familiar with what are some of the ways in which we internalize ideas around our body. And that's not just about, you know, that looks at how does um, our gender identity impact our relationship with our body? How does um, the, the religion we grew up on, if we grew up on a religion, how does the, the culture, how does all of these, you know, subtle ideas around rest, around care. Um, so that's one way. There's loads of podcasts <laughs> out there. Um, Be Nourished, um, who's the organisation that developed Body Trust, um, has some wonderful resources on their web website. So I would always start with some books mm. and podcasts. And then I know self-help is kind of um, seen as, I guess, a bit of a personal... I don't know, sometimes it's kind of vilified as a way to kind of like self-help our way out of any situation that we're in. But yeah. I do think that it can be a good place to start yeah. is to kind of start to practice noticing yourself, naming what's coming up for you and then associating that with the society. So I always start with this toggling, yeah. you know, what's the message I'm hearing in my head that, you know, you can't take a rest, you, you're too lazy, you haven't done enough work. Mm noticing that where has that voice come from mm. and then connecting with what matters to you so for me it's always about what are my values my values are not about upholding systems of oppression that benefit from my shame yeah so I'm like I see you yeah and what do I need what yeah. do I need you know my values are compassion my values are connection my values are um liberation kindness you know so I'm going to be like, how can I show that to myself as an actual way of divesting from these systems? So we can start really small and yeah. just naming and connecting to ourselves. And then, of course, there's a bunch of other ways that we can work with us with coaches and 
therapist but yeah that's not always available to everyone no exactly but you have a really lovely model of how people can work with you don't you I noticed on your website where you have tiers depending on what people's um kind of financial situation is so that somebody who can afford you is kind of like paying it forward for somebody who might not be there yet yeah yeah I have sliding scales you know yeah. something I try to do and I think it's really personal um yeah. how we set up our businesses and our individual circumstances are all very different mm. um <clears throat> at the moment I'm in a position where I'm able to offer sliding scales so if anyone wants to work with me they can check out my website mm. but yeah I'm really about also looking at my business practices being about collective liberation so how are the ways in which I've set my business up helping not just me to get free in my relationship with my body but helping others as well and it's a continual process of like checking in with what's my financial situation what's available to me mm. and yeah so not everyone has to have sliding skills I think that's no. why I'm saying that yeah. but it is I something don't. I've got sure. <laughs> but yeah well I'd say I don't I have free stuff that you can do and then I kind of do I have a move up but it's not as clear as the way yours is run but I really I personally as somebody who would then go for the top tier I love the idea that I am also part of somebody else working with you. Like that really appeals yeah, to me. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and it feel and and yeah. I think even if I was in a lower one, I would probably be looking at it because I'm always I'll always add in some ambition somewhere. I'd be like, I'm going to get to be that sort <laughs> of person later on as well. So that I really liked that. Okay, so another question: What difference do you think? Because I'm um, so I said to Nikki at the beginning of the session. Full disclosure. I am so I talk a lot about the fact that I have therapy every single week and that's part of my support system and I'm going to do a podcast soon actually about how what support I have because I have the most support I've ever had now and um it's interesting for me as someone who's been very independent growing up that I feel the best I've ever felt now that, and I wouldn't say I'm the least independent that's not the right way to put it but now I'm allowing myself the support I need and um, so I'm coming up against some of this body trust stuff that, like I mentioned, there was a diet culture is deeply rooted in my mum's side of the family, particularly. And so I'm kind of, I'm, I'm picking a lot of that at the moment. And one of the things that's really come up for me is the way that a lack of trust in our bodies also, and you've kind of touched on this with the intuitive eating stuff you mentioned, but has an impact on our ability to access our intuition and to trust our instincts could you talk a bit about how trusting your body allows you to trust your instincts more yeah it's a great question and it's something I think about a lot a lot is how body trust is linked to self-trust and also my favorite word which is discernment mm. um, which is our ability to like trust our own judgment yeah. um, so I think like one of the really early ways that it's helpful to name that this is linked is that um, we're often told that, so there's this mismatch between our lived experiences yeah. with trying diets and trying to change our bodies and trying to control them. And yeah. this is going to be the time and we might have decades and decades of this. And also seeing people in our family going through this cycle. Yeah. yeah. So this message of like, these experiences are telling me I'm someone that's really tried here. Yes. Um, versus the messages we constantly get that, um, well, it's just simple, really, isn't it? We mm -hmm. just need to 
eat less and move more um that you just need to try this plan over here mm. not what you've been doing or um you just need to try harder um and we're always like waved with a statistic of like some people can make it work so I think right off the bat that's a question of it's questioning our trust in ourselves we're like well hang on like if I really look I really feel that I tried hard at this I've tried really freaking hard at this yeah so in most cases in life we would go huh okay I've tried all these things and I haven't had the long-term outcome we often have a short-term outcome yeah over time you know for a lot of people they end up higher at a higher weight than when they started yeah. this whole process maybe in their like teens or whatever yeah. and we we're learned to not trust that we're learned to go it's us we've done something wrong yeah. um so there's that piece of self-trust and then there's this piece of like my body is clearly letting me down here mm-hmm. you know like we're told to suppress hunger, to like drink water, to like eat a lot more veggies, to try and f- trick our body mm. into thinking that it's full. So that's another way that we're sort of saying, well, you can't trust your body. You've got to do some kind of a hack around it. Yeah. Um, so it makes complete and utter sense that yeah. we don't trust our bodies. Mm. Um, and dieting, and again, I don't vilify people who diet. I think Mm -hmm. that um, there are a lot of many good reasons that we diet as a way to cope. Um, And so in my work, um, I like to make room for ambivalence, especially as a fat person. I think there is a ton of people telling us what we need to be doing, um, included on the body positivity side. So I'm all about um, having autonomy over what we do with our with our bodies but dieting is an act of taking ourselves out of our body of disembodiment so if we're talking about trust that requires embodiment it requires like an ability to sense like what am I feeling like what emotions are in this body Mm. um am I tired do I want to get up and walk Mm. I think there's so many ways we override our body and like smaller senses not just food like I noticed a couple of years ago that I like have got used to sitting in uncomfortable chairs because I'm in a bigger body and I'll just get used to being a bit numb or a bit uncomfortable or Mm -hmm. get used to sitting for longer before I go to the toilet because I need to finish a piece of work and then I'll be like you know (laughs) or drinking a a glass of water I'll put it off so there's all these subtle ways that we we don't build trust with our body because we're constantly overriding and because we're able to so that doesn't answer the question but it tells you that it makes sense it makes sense right yeah and it's I noticed so I've been I had this thing my therapist my therapist went do you trust your body and I was like I don't understand the question I literally I'm so detached I was like what does that mean what do you mean trust your body what would I didn't even understand how it looked so we've been working on that together but one of the things I noticed off the back of that question was I will wait till I almost feel sick before I go to sleep I don't listen to those early cues I wait for my head to tell me it's time to go to sleep now rather than listening to my body that might want to go to sleep at half eight sometimes but my head will go well that's too early you shouldn't a whole chat about it because and I can I'm convinced exactly as you say that I can track that back to um overriding my hunger and actually I would take it even further I think it's really interesting for when we're raising kids and often kids don't eat as much as we think they should and I was tiny I was I had a hole in my heart and I was this wavy little 
translucent little child who obviously only grew up to be like barely five two so like it makes sense that I was small but there was also a feeling of then I wasn't eating enough and then it became I ate too much and so it's this real like numbing of what I my instincts are telling me and I think it's really interesting how um we would talk about um what we would perceive as traditionally male ambition or male um, instincts and we'll often just say it's business sense or it's he's got a head for business and for those um who identify as female it becomes or socialized as female as you said it becomes much more witchy or woo or just mm. like um that kind of we don't act like I don't think many even notice it their instincts in the same way because they are able to access those bits in not all of them obviously because like weight stuff exists for um men too and that that is increasing I think but there's the, this kind of disconnection that I think has a real impact when we're following what we love doing and making decisions from that place yeah I mean I think that it's it's a real wisdom that we have that we lose mm. and I think my work's all about reclaiming and we reclaim in really small steps, you know, really small, like um, Brené Brown talks about trust in a wider sense of this kind of marble jar that we're putting little marbles into and we start to build the evidence that we can trust ourselves. And it's kind of similar with body trust. It's built over small, consistent steps over time. I'm going to practice self-compassion in this moment. You know, I'm going to practice zooming out and naming what's in my social context. I'm gonna, I have a daily practice of embodied self-awareness. So that's actually sitting and connecting with that feeling in my body that is safety for me. And it's different for everyone. I'm really paying attention to the sensations in my body and listening to her. Mm. And I'm not always able to respond in the way that I'd love, but yeah. it's kind of like, I hear you, we're feeling really tired today how can I make room for some rest today? Or how can I choose to wear something that makes me happy because I deserve pleasure? How can I um, let myself enjoy this cup of tea and biscuit for a minute and just have a, have a moment? How can I move a little bit today? Because I notice I feel better when I move. Um, mm -hmm. And I think like um, something that you named is I have a lot of support as well. And I'm always really like to name the ways in which having privilege has helped me yes. to have this um relationship with my body that is much more compassionate and flexible you know many many years ago I was able to find a personal trainer that I could work with one-on-one -on -one, you know so powerlifting is something that I do and it really helps me to feel strong in my body in a way that um is not based on any external goal you yeah. know it's it's a way to connect. Um, I'm able to go to fat positive yoga classes, mm. you know, and yoga is not always an embodied form of movement. If you're in a space where you've like, there's mirrors or you're looking at what am I, what do I look like in these yoga clothes? How come I can't do the pose like that person? And, mm. you know, so it's, I've been able to access <clears throat> spaces where I feel safe, spaces yeah. where I'm affirmed. Mm. I'm able to go to therapy, you know, yeah. I'm able to, so yeah. But trust, I think we start small. We start by just listening and building from there. Mm. Yeah. How can we go inwards? Because mm. I think that if we're constantly looking out, mm. 
um it's really hard to hear yeah absolutely and I think one thing I'd really love to kind of reiterate is not disconnecting I think often in my work what I hear people we see our money stuff as one thing our body stuff as another thing our other stuff as another thing and in my experience they are so they will impact each other you know you exist in this body you you know that is the body that you are you know earning the money with it's not just your brain it's not just your social media pro, um, presence it, these aren't detached things it there is this real um I don't love the word holistic it just feels really like overused but there it is this 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 very much this entire experience of this human and this human's life um will be impacting how you make money I'm very keen on saying that um not making the money when we want to make is a symptom of other stuff it's not the whole story on its own yeah we deserve to thrive and part of thriving is not just this up here in our head yeah you know I think that we're often taught that um success comes at a price it comes at our own abandonment um you know when I used to work in the city I worked till like three o'clock in the morning I would just work 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 and then I would I would access the food that was available in the vending machine because I didn't have time to go and like sit down and properly eat because it was like 11 o'clock and I was still writing the report um I went to bed really late so I really learned the idea early that success came at a price and it, it meant cutting off from my body and cutting off from my needs and I got confused about it because I really enjoyed my work yes that was fueling me in some way yeah. intellectually but I'm not just an, like a brain <laughs> you know yeah. I'm also a body and something that I've had to make, make my own peace with is the ways in which um my body has tried to keep me safe and protect me and help me survive through all of that and some of that did involve um telling me I was hungry when I would rather not feel hungry some yes. of that did involve me gaining weight because um my body was sort of thinking we're in some kind of a battleground here we're like working all hours we're not getting any sleep we're like constantly switched on so it's super nuanced and I think part of it if I can offer something is when we're exploring our body story and we're and we're looking at that it's not through the lens of here are all the things that happened and and that went wrong if you like um it's like what are the ways that my body just as it is has tried to help me survive yeah. like where's the wisdom I used to have a real problem with my appetite and really saw it as something um wrong something that was just flawed within me um it was too much unlike now I've been able to see that you know it was a response to starvation a lot of the time you know I really felt when you shared your story about your mom because I was put on a nine-month starvation diet um, yeah. liquid diet by a dietitian mm. and I lost half my body weight but it came at such a cost yeah. and afterwards my appetite was felt almost primal mm. in in a sort of response to that um, and I thought there was something wrong with my body and now through through everything I've learned and through you know education I've had around metabolism and the ways in which our body responds to yeah. hunger um, it makes sense 
So while I might not always like the outcome, my body has done its best. And that's it, isn't it? Like it's it's detaching, and I think this is hard. I really do. But it's certainly been hard for me, and I'm not there at all. But I I I can really see why it's so hard. It's 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 like this idea of that um nor normal. I'm doing bunny ears for people listening. <laughs> body that the body that is presented to us. It's it's like a magnet that keeps drawing us to it. Like this is how this has to be the ending though. For and and it's unlearning that. You know, I know that one of the issues with intuitive eating that I've heard so many people say is that it becomes another diet to people, another way of, you know, but when I, but, but if I do intuitive eating, I'll lose weight there. And and that's part of that unlearning. And I think that's, um, I think that's a lot. But I think it's, like you say, it's moment by moment. I love that Brené Brown bit about the jar as well. And I think that that works in so many different places. Before you go, I have some quick fire questions in a minute. I do want to quickly ask, one of the things that comes up a lot in my work is that a feeling of, shouldn't I just be grateful for what I've got? There is a real fear for a lot of women around having more than they perceive they need. And mm. I really link that with diet culture a lot, with this idea of, you know, as women, we are constantly shrinking ourselves, but we're also shrinking what we are allowed access to. Um, what are your thoughts around the idea that we can allow ourselves more than we perceive we are allowed access to? Well, yeah, I think it, um, it comes back to this piece of critiquing where that message has come from, yeah. yeah, and naming it for what it is, and also naming, like, more you is better. Yes. More you in the world is better. Um, often when women have access to resources, we use them in ways that help to lift each other up, that mm -hmm. help to contribute to community. So when I'm working with somebody, um, I will hire from uh, a pot of people that, that are other women or marginalized folks. Um, you know, I, I have a policy of giving a certain amount back, you know, like I know a lot of other women do. Um, we use it to dismantle power so we get our message out there and we're critiquing stuff we're disrupting culture um, you know to bring it back to Kelly Dales again as she talks about culture makers you know so I think that it's always having this nuanced lens of okay where's that message come from mm. am I buying into it what's the full picture yeah. how can I locate myself and my values and how am I also helping to dismantle some of these systems that taught me that message in the first place yeah. so it's this process of, of checking in and I, we get to take up space in our lives we get to take up space literally yeah. and figuratively um, and there's no kind of conditional point in that that you only get to take up space if you are performing x y and z because that my friend is bullshit <laughs> yeah absolutely oh I love this I could just sit with you all day but I'm gonna be kind to you about your time I have so some really quick fire, Ala Brené Brown, some quick fire questions. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Which okay. are like, one of Go my, for it. I'm, I'm excited about your answer to this question because I feel like you're somebody whose bookshelves I would like to raid. So favourite book you've read recently? It can be fiction, non-fiction, business, whatever. doesn't matter. Um, oh, my word. So a favourite book that I've read recently, I always have like a ton on the go. So one is um, Radical Belonging by um dr lindo bacon um straight away so 
that's amazing um I also I'm just having a look here um, another book I read is um what we don't talk about when we talk about fat which is by um Aubrey Gordon who um is known as your fat friend yeah. on Twitter I think it's a really um valuable brief um, for anyone and anybody and a way of starting to notice the ways in which we we vilify certain bodies business book the last one <laughs> is uh this one really boring it's narrative oh, coaching just <laughs> by dr david drake because i'm all about stories and i'm all about unpacking like the stories we've got and living into yeah. new ones so, so yeah. that was narrative coaching for people yeah. that can't see the video amazing okay Next question, the women, sorry, the impact of women making money is? More okay. thriving for all of us. Yeah. yeah. I think that there, we, we flourish and yeah. we contribute to um, the wider flourishing of all of us. Yeah. Um, yeah. Redistributing power. <laughs> yes, absolutely. If you could eat one thing for the rest of your life, <laughs> this is my favourite question. Me and my husband debate this frequently. If you could eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? Mm, I think it would be some form of Lebanese food. I just love those kind of bowls or wraps that like have like a little bit of everything, whether it's like shredded cabbage and jalapeno and pickle and carrots and hummus and falafel and all the stuff. So yeah, some form of Lebanese or Middle Eastern food. I know that's not one thing, so it's kind of cheap. No, do you know what? That's what I always do as well. I'm always like Mexican food. <laughs> I can't pick. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I do. I'm like, my husband always goes, I don't think that's the game. I'm like, nope, it's what I want to do. I need I need the like whole culture of food, not just one thing. Um, <laughs> um, best bit of either money or business advice you've ever received? Mm. I think... No, I think that um, the best bit of business advice that I've received is if, if I don't like the model that I'm being offered, um, I can do it a different way. I think that when I first set up a business, I felt like it had to be this way. This is the model. This is the way we set up services. This is the way we charge. Da, 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 da. And it never sat right with me. Um, and so... I've really learned to trust my own analysis and to be like, hmm, I don't want to do it that way. I'm going to do it this way. So yeah, Actually, we don't have to follow models. I love Sorry. that. I love that. It has been such a joy to talk to you. Like I said, I could do this all day. Um, so yeah, thank you very much, Nikki, for coming and chatting to us about all of this. We will have some extensive show notes for this one because Nikki has referenced lots of really exciting things. I'm going to be going, probably going off to buy more books, which is a problem I have. And um, yeah, thank you very much. And can you just let people know where they can find you on social media before we go? Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me. This has been such a fun chat. Um, so you can find me on Instagram. I'm not the most active on social media, but I'm over there. So it's at Nicola Haggett and Haggett is H-A-G-G-E-T-T. -T. Mm -hmm. And you can also check out my website, which is NicolaHaggett.com. Nice. Thank you very much. See you later. Thank you, Ray. See you later. Thank you for listening to this episode of Money Making Women. Please do go and leave us a review. They have a huge impact on getting podcasts like mine heard. I also wanted to let you know where you can find me. So if you want to find more of what I do, you can find me in my Facebook group, Money Making Women, 
or you can find me on Instagram, I'm Ray underscore Dodd. I really want to say a special thank you to Emily Crosby who edits these for me and I will see you for our next episode.